as he takes a run right down the middle for the Flamingos. To his left, Keegan will curl this in. Oh. He scores! I'll have what she's having. Clean cut, but morally corrupt. It's forwards back backwards podcast, not from the corner of Glenway and Monroe and not from the Gimme Some Truth studios. This week we take the do not disturb sign off the door and do some housekeeping, talk Tucson ties, and fill a bunch of time with our nonsensical ramblings. As always, I'm joined by the Larry Wilson and Richard Parker to my Bernie Lomax, Kyle Carr, and Dan Fallon. Kyle, Dan, what would be your personal life equivalent of Sergio Kun Aguero's failed Panenka? <laughs> Hmm. What moment in your life would would match up with that level of embarrassment? I mean, there's a lot, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the fact that I would say at least once a week I leave the house with my fly down would probably match up to that. Um, there's been pl- plenty say- of times where I've taken Gio for a walk and then forgot a poop bag. So when he pooped, I had to go home, go all the way back to grab a poop bag to pick up said poop on someone else's yard. So, so I think we're ranking this as a fairly minor embarrassment in the career of, of Sergio Aguero. This is not like, you know, um, the, you know, the time, like you were talking to a girl and you got a bloody nose or something like that on the like pantheon of life embarrassment. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone's going to forget about it in like a month until those two terrible teams play again and then it'll get brought up. But for him, He's already here. He's like got a statue. He's got it all. He could do no wrong at, at that place. So trying to do a Panenka, I guess is fine. Whatever. No yeah, one in the Man City can take penalties anyway. So it's just title. part of the course. Yeah. They've clinched the title. Who cares? Dan, notice you've been quiet about embarrassments in your personal life. There haven't been any. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, okay. So I, I, I'd say. Probably the most embarrassing thing. Well, I don't know the most the one that comes to mind, which I lied about for many years is uh, I once threw my back out getting off the toilet. That's pretty good, but it doesn't have the public level of embarrassment that, you know, missing the Penanka does. Except, you know, like I was pretty laid up for a few days. So I had to tell people, <laughs> oh, I was getting off the couch or I was getting off a chair or the truth didn't come out until, well, really just now. I've told a couple of people <laughs> recently, but. Uh, Once one of my golf buddies uh, was out from golf because he injured himself putting away the dishes. And that one continually cracks me up. I've heard um, my back feet in the cat, so I get it. <laughs> this is just old age, Kyle. I well, I mean, that was, that was the, what was dawning on me as I, as I duck walked over to the couch. <laughs> Uh, how long ago was this, Fallon? Uh, well, it was about nine houses ago, so probably <laughs> 2015, <Six> 2015-ish, <laughs> 26 yeah, months, seven months, something like that. Um, by the way, uh, Dan, uh, Kyle, did you recognize the movie reference in the opener? No. Uh, Dan, Dan, Bernie Lomax? Oh, gosh, yes, but I can't, why is this not, what were the other names? Uh Larry Wilson and Richard Parker uh, starred Jonathan Silverstein and Andrew McCarthy. 
as Larry Wilson. And oh, well, Weekend at Bernie's. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, figured, I figured that would, that would get you. Um, so a uh, couple of uh, quick updates as well about future programming. We have confirmed with Mike Quito, uh, who wore a lovely hat uh, to the uh, uh, first match at Bree Stevens in 587 days against FC Bayern. Uh, also was Derby Day. Uh, he'll be appearing on the podcast May 24th to talk Flock Fashion 2021 uh, as well. And uh, we're putting a vague after-tax season on this. We're uh, working with Alexa Nickel to uh, talk about the the uh, Mingo Ladies uh, Community Garden Project going on here in Madison. So, Dan, you volunteered for that, have you not? I've been out there twice. I was there for um, the great uh, compost soil delivery of 2021, 10 yards of uh, compost. Um it's a lot of compost, a lot. 10 cubic yards. Yeah. I imagine is quite a bit of compost. And I think our entire plot is about four cubic feet. So, um, it was quite a bit, uh, yes, I've been out anyone else who, you know, I know Alexa will talk more about it, but, um, it's a great, great chance to get outside, help out the community, meet some of your fellow Mingos. Um, I got to see Connor Fagan on Saturday and I, dawned on me i don't know if i'd actually ever met him like in the flesh we have we've been on <laughs> zoomed yeah zooms and things of that nature but it was good to see him and uh so yeah i've been a great experience and i plan to be there quite a bit more this summer so i hope to see some of you there um you might say that the compost much like my degree phd piled higher and deeper and a little fun story about the compost. So there was a lot of extra Because you can comp- never have enough fun stories about compost. Well, this might also be one of the more embarrassing things that's happened to me recently. So I, uh, we needed to give a lot of this compost away. So I brought home a relatively large bucket of it, like a kind of a container, as it were. And because uh, my courtyard here at my apartment building has very nice gardens that my nice neighbor Joyce across the way takes care of. I offered the compost to Joyce. She was like, absolutely. That flower bed right outside of your window has gotten eaten up by voles. I need to put some compost in there. Great. Perfect. Well, my courtyard on a good day is a bit of a wind tunnel. And if you remember last week, we had a couple of very windy days. Yeah. And the the flower bed is only about 18 inches below my window. Uh, I came... I went into bed and uh, did not turn on the light and cr- crawled into bed. And my bed was completely full of compost. Um, by the way, uh, this is a, probably a good time to announce that uh, there's a new podcast out there talking, talking flock. And let's be honest, how are they going to be able to compete with that type of content? I mean, I don't know. I feel like, you know, bed compost content can't be topped. Nope. I had organic matter in my bed. I was going to say between the compost and beefing with national writers, I I don't know (laughs) how they're going to match, how they're going to equal that type of content, but I am intrigued to see how it goes and I'm hoping them well. Yep. Uh, That, that does uh, bring up the fact that uh, Kyle, Dan, and I have all now uh, beefed on Twitter with a former national correspondent for sports illustrated who we will not mention by name because I think he, he searches the audio files of podcasts for mentions of his name. 
And, and, you know, we didn't talk about this off air, but I wanted to mention he did the exact same thing with both of you, which both of you like, were like, well, you know, like if you thought through this, you would see why this is the, a dumb thing to say. And then he's like, well, I know I wrote about it. And it's like, that doesn't make you not taking it into account any less dumb. In fact, it makes it dumber. Yep. It was, for anyone that doesn't know, during the Champions League, I think it was the second leg, uh, PSG against Man City, Angel Di Maria stomped out at Fernandinho, and the announcer decided to say it's that Latin temperament, which you should not be saying on air live ever. That is bad. That is racism. That Don't do that. And that certain reporter was also saying, don't do that, but then also said, you wouldn't see any American person say like American commenter oh, make yeah, that no comment. American commenter would ever say that. <laughs> and yet I'm sitting here like you, we, we literally just had a whole issue about player them saying pace and power for black players and not being able to use certain pronouns for certain athletes at the NWSL. We're not that much better. Well, and it's like, if you're never listened to a baseball bo- broadcast, I mean, well, I was going to say there was that gentleman last year with the reds who uh, made the homophobic comment. Yeah. 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 So just all around dumb from a guy whose name <laughs> rhymes with Lant Fall. Shant, uh, shant, shant Fall. Shant Fall. <laughs> um, but uh, Rob Chappell and, and Jeremy from A Thousand Pitches up in Minnesota, wish you luck. 10,000 um, pitches. 10,000. 10, what did I say? A thousand? Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think this whole 10,000 likes thing for Minnesota is kind of bullshit anyway, but you know. 10,000 pitches up in Minnesota. I just want to wish them luck because clearly by listening to our podcast, you realize just how much work and, you know, time and effort it takes to talk nonsense. Well, they, they might not want to talk nonsense. So I guess that might actually be work. I think there is a market out there for a podcast. That's just not completely ridiculous. Like they're going to, they're going to actually try. They're going to have thoughtful discussions over and over. We're just going. And they're to giving see. stuff away. Don't they know they're supposed to go to people's houses and take we it? take things. <laughs> That's the sign of a good podcast is taking things. You don't give it away. You take it. You take people's dignity every week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the amount of shame that people feel when this podcast ends every week, that they spend another hour of their life. It's the equivalent. We've come to replace Catholic church service. You're done with this podcast. You leave the Catholic church service. You're, you're filled with guilt and shame. You get done with this podcast. Same, same emotions, same emotions. Uh, <laughs> I told my parents, I don't even need to talk to them anymore. I get my weekly dose of shame and humiliation <laughs> right here. Just doing this podcast. I mean, I did just admit to throwing out my back, getting off the toilet and having shit in my bed. So, you know. <laughs> well, I you did- say my parents are, they don't know about this and they're going to continue <laughs> not about that, and we're going to keep it that way. And then when my kids get older and realize I did this, they're going to think I'm even more lame than I already am. <laughs> um, my, my parents comment will, which will never be equaled is, uh, you and Dan sound like two guys at a bar, you know, two drunks at a bar talking, and they did not mean that as a compliment. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, Dan, unlike most of the other times, the shit in your bed was not from you. So I'd count that as a win. I don't know about you. Count that as a win. That's maturing. That's outside shit in your bed. <clears throat> count that as a win. 
Um, I'm trying uh, very delicately to transition here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you do that. Uh, yeah. That uh, so Kyle, tell us about uh, this. Suggesting uh, that I shit my bed regularly doesn't is not a, a subtle transition. <laughs> uh, Kyle, uh, tell us about uh, you will be using uh, not human feces to do the signs and TIFOs this year, correct? Correct. Professional level no- transition, Dan. There will be no human feces. We are going to have a couple banners for the. Is that a COVID opener. protocol thing, or is that just something we've decided? I think it's just a natural preference. Yes. <laughs> as an organization. Yeah. Okay. It's trying to keep trying to keep up as much. Trying to make it look good for the community. That's all. <laughs> something flock related has to be good for the community. So this the banners will be that. Um, we're going to be painting those Tuesday and Thursday from six p.m. to nine p.m. over at uh, Warner Park or where the mallards play. So bring your mask and bring any, you don't need to have that much artistic ability. Also, we're going to be tracing. We'll have a projector. So that'll help. Painting is very straightforward. We'll tell you this is the area that you got to paint this color. So it'll be pretty simple. We're providing all the materials. And then for the TIFO, that will likely, we'll have more information on that, but expect painting and tracing for that to be next week. Uh, We just, there. it's going to be a large TIFO. So we do not have the proper amount of time to, get it traced and painted and ready to go by Saturday. So it will be the, it will be ready for the Wednesday, May 26th match against a team at West. Uh, just, you know, TIFO being uh, TIFOs are being affected by the global uh, supply chain crisis, I think is also a good rationale for the delay. I, I, uh, I think it's just, it's a very large TIFO and you know, it's going to be a lot of work, and I don't want to work more hours than I need to. This I was is gonna say you guys have had six hundred plus days to get this TIFO done. You're just like waiting until the end to take the exam. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like the exam where you don't know what the hell is the content's going to be until two weeks before, aka when we found out we were even going to be in Madison. It's like, well, shit. <laughs> I guess we should probably do this. Is that is that some sort of a subtle dig at the USL schedule makers? <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a dig at the USL schedule makers because <laughs> I don't know what the hell was the logic with the USL. I, I mean, schedule. I think we all know that the TIFO should have been welcome back, Keith and Fallon. <laughs> that I'm trying to give a good message of positivity here. <laughs> well, you, you Just also mentioned you two got on a pre, you did some color commentary, you made it big. I'm surprised I'm even still here. <laughs> Um, I will, I will say the other thing that was mentioned is, uh, that you bring your mask and your good attitude, uh, which obviously means I won't be there, um, because I have, you know, a terrible attitude about everything. Um, something that, uh, came up that I think, uh, saddened everyone, uh, over the last, uh, week was the, the passing of the former coach of the Richmond kickers. Um, and Dan and Kyle, I think both of you met him firsthand out in, uh, Richmond when you met out, went out there. And I think as well, the event that you went out there for was, was kind of, a a, a big deal, uh, that coach Bulow organized for the, the Richmond community, um, in, in kind of the difference he made as well in the, the Richmond kickers community. So I guess I wanted to turn things over to you because as, as, um, uh, you know, we know he, he died last week um, as consequence of an after effect of the, of the stroke. And though he was only a coach in USL league one for, for one year, I think made a a bigger impact um, than, than people may have realized. 
Yeah, it was unfortunate. He was very young as well, so kind of sudden. You know, you would think someone like him still pretty healthy, and then that happens. It's very unfortunate. Um, he was, yeah, he was really a good person. When we went down to Richmond and talked to him, he was very welcoming. He was all for the Henny Derby. He was so excited about it. You know, having that match, having everything gone before, having everything gone after, he even wore, you know, more of an African you know, attire for the match. Like he really embraced the Annie Derby. He really wanted to see it grow. And he was very happy with everything. He commented as much as like this, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. You know, he, I know Elliot over in river city 93, you know, he encouraged Elliot to kind of go out and do this podcast. So he was a good man, you know, coaching for that team. He was Richmond through and through, you know, coaching them and playing for them as well. So yeah, it's very unfortunate. Um, like I said, good man, very welcoming when we were down there, Madison, very welcoming to the Henny Derby. And, you know, it's just very unfortunate. So thoughts and prayers go out to his family and, you know, the whole Richmond community as a whole. Well, and that, that whole event around the Henny Derby uh, was actually a, a, an outgrowth, too, of a heritage night that he had he had organized as well to promote, um, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, black, indigenous, generally people of color, in the Richmond community and make them feel included in, in the Rick, Richmond kickers program, which I think was a big step forward for that, for them as a team as well. And, and he had coached uh, youth teams for Richmond as well. So kind of one of the guys that you could say bled uh, kickers red in, in some sense, Dan, anything else that you wanted to add? To- I mean, Kyle covered most of it. I mean, you know, the one thing I was clear that night is he had a connection to those supporters. They, they liked him. He liked them. And, uh, and I'll never forget, he came over and clapped us, uh, which I think is always um, just a nice show of respect. I think, you know, I think the word was out that we had traveled 17 hours in a minibus and he came over and recognized our participation in that night. And um, yeah, just um, just want to say sorry to his family and friends in the community there. And um, yeah, gone too soon. Yeah, really sad and, and sad for, you know, uh, and, and Strangely, uh, you know, Dan, when, when you see someone more or less your age die, it, it has a mm-hmm. odd, odd resonance uh, to you, um, you know, and, and undoubtedly he, he accomplished so much already and you would have loved to see him get the chance to accomplish even more. So um, and, and we give a special uh, sort of shout out to the to our friends at the River City 93 podcast. Uh, I know Elliot was was particularly close with him. And, and so. Um, very sorry and, and give them all our, our best wishes in the larger Richmond community as well, um, as well. So, um, to, to sort of move on, uh, from there, which will, will be difficult. Um, but, uh, did want to, uh, as we segue into talking about the, the match with Tucson, uh, Eric Leonard left the match, uh, on, on Saturday night with a concussion. He was, uh, knocked out. Um, and it sounds like he's going to be going through the concussion protocol and will be out seven to 10, uh, days minimum. Um, so we're pulling for Eric as well and, and wishing him luck, uh, because, you know, we've, we've loved having him with the side and, and all of that. Um, and so that, that kind of goes into, um, you know, talking about the match, uh, Tuesday night, we've got some, some key points, but everything, anything, uh, off the top, uh, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how excited were you just to be able to watch forward Madison again? 
I'm putting out a 10. I mean, I went to the scrimmage uh, the week prior, and it was nice just to be able to see it, but to sit down and watch a match actually mattered, especially with how things are going in Europe and how that has somewhat soured things for me. It was kind of nice to just be able to watch, you know, a team that I really, really care about. You know, I've been watching NWSL, I've been watching MLS, watching every other league, but having a chance to watch your own team was, it was just exciting being able to do that for the first time in a long time and actually feeling excited for this year as well. It, it was good to have it back. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, I was going to make a joke about, I, it was a 10 for me, except the fact that it was on ESPN plus, which makes it a four, but, um, it actually was a pretty well broadcast game. I think Tucson's stadium is set up pretty well. So there, you know, we didn't have any I mean, more. well broadcast except for, I don't know what happened to the, those guys that did the color commentary, uh, on the simulcast, but boy, they, they really needed those guys back. <laughs> um, those guys did a great job. If you get a, got a chance to listen to the stream on Twitch or on Facebook, I don't know where they got those guys from, but I thought they were informed funny on top of things and And imagine imagine the reaction they would have had to jake keegan scoring a goal that is incredible hello ladies uh well and that was the final thing i was going to say is all three of those announcers you couldn't see it on the on the twitch stream terribly handsome (laughs) so that brings up point number one keegan keegan gasms for everyone jake keegan arrives from Greenville and scores not just in the exhibition game, but also in his first match with forward Madison official against Tucson cranks one in. What do we got? What do we think? It was a great goal. I mean, it was Mike. I mean, Mike Vang having the pass from deep and it just perfectly gets to Audie Jepsen. I didn't know if, Jepson had gotten a touch to it to Keegan. If it went off a defender, if Vang just completely thread the needle that well, it was a great pass and second pass, I guess Keegan only needed one other. He took one touch, got it, took a shot. Perfect. Perfectly placed in bottom corner. That's we, I love seeing that, especially because it felt like he was very isolated for most of the game. So to see him just pop up and get that goal, it was just nice to see. And it was good for Madison. It kind of felt like, this might be a little bit different where even if they go down behind, you feel confident they can score a goal. You feel confident they can get into attack. Even if Keegan's kind of isolated, he's going to be able to pop up and make the plays that he needs to. So I think it was like, like I said, great shot and good buildup play between Vang and Jepson to get it to him in the first place. Yeah. Dan, I think uh, you had mentioned that it felt like a classic number nine performance from, from Keegan. Yeah. I think anytime you have a striker who can, I mean, he was really starved for service for most of the match. I mean, really struggled to get into the game. And not that, I mean, we were creating chances. I didn't feel like it was, you know, we were penned in or he just, but it just wasn't really falling for him. And then just to be that alert and to take that touch and just bury it. I mean, really showing what a professional he is and I think what, why Carl wanted him here. Uh, And we'll get into it, I think, a little bit more. But, um, you know, a couple other things I would say, about that goal. It's, it was nice to see our, you know, Mike Vang sitting deep, but then combining with the other attacking midfielder where they were really in two different lines. I mean, Audie Jepson was almost on the front line. And then if you watch the goal, the other thing I really liked was Tyler, uh, Tyler Allen um, made a run inside of Jake Keegan. And, you know, 
whether that threw the defenders off or not, I think it just shows you some of the movement that Carl is looking for this year, or, you know, kind of the outside forward is making this kind of overlapping run down the middle. Uh, and it just, it just looked a lot more fluid. Um, we looked a lot more dangerous when we had the ball. Uh, and, you know, I think my first comment to you guys at, as the game, maybe within the first seven, eight minutes, we just looked a lot more direct uh, and a lot more pacey and, um, you know, it wasn't sitting back and trying to hit on the counter as much. It was really taking the ball at Tucson. Uh, and it was, it was exciting to watch. Yeah. And, and you bring something up there and, the, you know, kind of taking people on and taking it to them in the third minute, um, Michael Vang, you know, took a guy on a defender on, got fouled right away. And then not 10 minutes later, uh, you know, and, and that's to be expected from Michael Vang, right? We, we know and appreciate that is his, his confidence to take guys on and make things happen. And last year it felt like a little bit, he was maybe the only guy that was really doing that out of, out of the team. And then 10 minutes later, basically in the same spot as the ESPN announcer pointed out, Gebhardt takes a guy on, gets fouled almost in the exact same spot. And so just between those two fouls, you saw kind of that, that directness and that they want to take people on. They want to make the other team go on the back leg a little bit more. Kyle, Dan. Yeah, it was definitely interesting because when you look at Jake Egan's, like where he t- was getting the ball in the first half, it was more out wide. In the second half, it was drifting more central. And a part of that could be, you know, Eric Leonard going out, putting in Malloy, maybe think things central going more central. But I think with how Keegan's was getting the ball in the second half was really influential. And I think a lot of that was because Tyler Allen and Gebhardt were both doing so much work on the wing and causing a lot of problems. And it kind of forced the defenders to be pulled up more and more. You know, you also have Giro and Lomelli who are kind of the same way where they're going to have the ball out wide. So it was just, it was interesting seeing how things were being built up, especially in the second half, more through the middle. And I think that's why, you know, Mike Vang was able to be more influential, why Audie Jepson was able to be more influential, why Aaron Malloy, like why those three in particular in the midfield were able to create more is they kept things more central. And I think that really paid off. And I think part of that is, you know, Gebhardt and Allen and eventually Fusan, them being able to be threats out wide made things more difficult for Tucson. Yeah, and I, I know Keegan got the man of the match, obviously, for, for the goal. Uh, you know, if I was voting, it probably would have been Gebhardt. I thought he had a fantastic match. Uh, I think that shot in the second half did hit the post. If I, It was a little hard to tell, that one where he was on the tight angle. Um, and also, you know, another word for, uh, for uh, Lamelli had a nice game, had a good, good opportunity on goal, had a couple of decent crosses and passes into the box. Um, hopefully his injury isn't too bad. That was a bit of a heavy collision between him and him and the Tucson player. Um, he went in, he went in hard, but he, he came out on the wrong end of that one. Um, but yeah, I, I thought again, the, the, the outside, outside forwards just really, really impressive in the way they went about their business. And and the other thing that was interesting is the the flexibility that obviously Carl sees in the midfield, you know, Mike Vang in the first half in particular, it was almost like we were playing a front two. He was, and definitely when we were out of possession, uh, he was, you know, the press was really him and Keegan up front. Um, but that, you know, it shows you that he trusts Mike to make the right decisions to get forward when he needs to get forward. And then he ends up setting up the goal by sitting 
deeper rather than being the most forward of the midfield three. So I thought there were just a lot of positives for a first game on the road, new players, new coach. Um, I think Tucson had a game and ha- has a game, right? They've played. They had played yeah, the week before. They played the week before. So um, I, mean, I think we all kind of agreed like, hey, that was a pretty good point given all of the given all. And we're still missing a, a couple of players, which hopefully now with Eric being out doesn't come back to bite us because central mid I would say central midfield and and center back are probably the two areas where we're we're a little light. Um so and Eric is Eric is also I, I would assume our third center back right now because we don't we don't have anybody else that can really play there. So um yeah, we're still waiting for some people to get back into into <laughs> Uh, Danny brought something up in terms of the rotation as well. One of the things that I liked and and you would see, and we saw it a little bit against the Bavarians is they weren't just playing with Keegan as the target. You would see a midfielder kind of drop into a position back to goal next to him or Allen or Gebhardt would move, would cycle through. And uh, it's something that we had, uh, you know, a post-game interview uh, with with Connor Tobin after the Bavarians match, and he said one of the things that they were working very hard on in practice was their midfield rotations and and so on and so forth to kind of make that fluidity that you noted happen. Uh, the thing that you brought up uh, in terms of you know how they lined up, particularly in the first half, speaks to something I was thinking about in in regards to our second key point, and that is last year. You know, the defense was the rock upon which we built our church. Do we need to be a little concerned about the defense already? I mean, it's one match, good point on the road, long travel, it's hot. What do we think? (laughs) I'm not too concerned at the moment. I mean, they had 14 clearances. They had 15 tackles. So it was obviously was not at the levels that it was last year, but that makes sense considering, you know, instead of having Pato, you had Lomelli. And instead of having Josiah, you had Gustavo. And I think it was just more, especially a team like Tucson, they really hit you with counterattack and the speed. And I thought they dealt with that relatively well. I thought Brino's very aggressive, which was good to see him continue that. The goal that was allowed was just a collection of individual errors. And I think that's what made it a little bit more of a sour note of why it was a draw. Cause you kind of felt like the goal that they gave up was just a sloppy goal. Brino rolls it out too far. Gustavo doesn't get to it faster than he probably should. No one tells Gustavo that the defender's closing and Brino probably should have saved it. So it was just like a very sloppy goal to concede, especially because it was when Tucson tried to counter, they had it under control. So I'm not too concerned about the defense yet. Um, I, I think it's going to take a few more, you know, obviously Lomelli just signed the contract, even though he had been trialing and training with the team for a while. He's still, you know, trying to get his feet wet. I think Gustavo, after having a good preseason, him and Turbo are still working on that partnership because they didn't really play much together at all last year. I, I'm not too worried. It's It'll be interesting to see how they handle the next couple matches, but I, I'm not hitting, I'm not worried yet, but it was a very sloppy goal to concede. Yeah, I, and I'd say like, we need somebody, if we're going to be an entertaining podcast, we need somebody to freak out after the first match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, somebody needs to be like, this is the terrible, terrible. The, the distribution was terrible. Uh, I will say that. Well, and I, 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 I also, look, from the goalkeeper's perspective, Brino made an error, which is that you got to tell that guy he's got to take a touch. 
And also, this is a fundamental defensive thing. You should never let a ball roll across your body without turning it, taking a touch on it. That's just, to my mind, defensive 101, because in the midfield, you can sometimes do that for, you know, uh, advantage reasons, and you can turn it over. But in the back, you have to be 110% sure. So I think, you know, Brino rolling it firm is fine. But if you do that, you got to be like, hey, you got to take a touch, take a touch, turn it you know, communication and that that didn't happen ultimately as well for goalkeepers, goalkeepers looked at, at that as my error that my defender didn't do what he was supposed to, but also, you know, the blame goes on Fernandez, right. For not taking that touch. Yeah. And and to be clear, I mean, the distribution on that particular goal, yes, poor. Um, And, and, you know, like, again, and not to, not to, it it was just a, a series of, little mistakes and a very alert striker also needs to be said that's he sniffed that out quickly and was on to Gustavo. Um, you know, the only other thing, maybe Keith as a goalkeeper, I you know, he didn't need to roll it out that quickly. Maybe take a second, let the team get set. It wasn't like you're, you're throwing long or you're trying yeah. to like break a counter. It just seemed like it was all just kind of a little too quick, but anyway, but I, I did think we struggled the both center backs to be fair, struggled with the ball at their feet. Um, Gustavo struggled a little bit with the ball at his feet against Bavarians too. So that's a, a little bit of a worry after it sounded like he was having a very good preseason with coach Craig kind of calling him out on a number of occasions. We were in this position last year where we were pretty hard on, on Connor and Josiah in the first few weeks. So, you know, again, these guys are just getting back into it there. It's a new partnership. Um, and I I'll give them a little bit of, uh, of wiggle room here, but it, it, at times we were, we looked a little, we looked a little ragged playing out, uh, from the center back positions in particular. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we didn't give up a lot of clear chances. Like I got, you know, I'm looking here and three shots on target. So that would be the goal. There was like the one long shot that came into Brino. Like, I don't remember him ever having to really, he had to make a couple of clearances on corner kicks, but we didn't give up a lot. And we looked, we looked dangerous. Like we looked like we could have scored a couple of goals. So like, again, overall, I'm not, I'm not concerned other than, you know, you keep making mistakes out of the back like that and you will get punished. And it did get punished pretty, pretty severely on, on Saturday night. Yeah. The, the one other thing I, you know, I was thinking about in terms of defensively, and you mentioned this before in the first half in particular, you know, they, there wasn't a lot of high pressure. It, it seemed more of a, a low, low pressure, Um, and and I think, you know, one of the things particularly, and it may be, you know, right now, coach, coach, uh, Carl, uh, is Carl Craigson. (laughs) I love that. Now it's in your own head. You don't (laughs) even know what his name is. I don't know his name. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, (laughs) coach Carl Craig, uh, is looking at is, you know, maybe focusing on when we're in possession of the ball and right now just keeping the shape simple defensively two banks of four with, with Vang. Um, you know, I still think, uh, Al, uh, Gebhardt in particular creeps a little bit, maybe gets out of the, the bank of four a little bit. Um, and then as time goes on, if you're the t- type of team that plays on the front foot, you're going to want to up the press, especially with someone like Michael Vang, who's so effective on the press and picking people's pockets, um, and so I think that's something as well that may change the shape of how we look at the defense. I do agree with you. You know, as as I've mentioned time and time again at the Great American Center Back Factory in Maytag, Iowa, they just have not protect, perfected the distribution part of the of the manufacturing. Uh, Turbo had a couple of balls where you just kind of went, 
what was that going to? <laughs> um, and But also, I think, as you pointed out, maybe as the midfield rotations become a bit clearer, as they know where that guy is supposed to be, it'll improve yeah. um, over time. So I think those are all good things that, that you know. And then, as, as Kyle, you've alluded to, the return of Josiah Trimmingham, I mean, this guy captained his national team, which for a, you know, and is a very vocal leader as well, um, as I've stressed throughout this this podcast, primarily from the experience of seeing him in that one training match that we did. I mean, you could hear him yeah. echoing up and down East Washington, right? And so I think as well, if you have two vocal guys in the back, like Turbo and, and Josiah, uh, Turbo tends to uh, uh, direct his vocality uh, utter vocal utterances, maybe to the third topic in our, our list here this evening. Um, whereas Josiah is a commanding guy who instructs his, his other. And so that may help eliminate some of those fundamental errors that we, we felt like we were a little worried about Dan. Yes. And just two things I want to say, I think I would imagine kind of the low press get back into their blocks, not engage the ball until, you know, kind of right around half field. I'm imagining the heat playing down in yeah, Tucson was, too yeah. as the first match. You got yeah, to, you know, fly, yeah. yeah, flying down there, first game of the season. You know, you don't want to, you know, come flying out of the gates. And also, we only had five, I think, five field players on the bench. Yeah. Yep. And then the second thing I'll say, just not to wrap it up, but it was actually enjoyable to watch the match, which I think. There were times last year where we were kind of like, do we have to do this podcast? That was really boring. <laughs> uh, and I just felt like I was watching a soccer I was not. Was- I was not Googling synonyms for turgid like I was a lot of last year. So at base level, uh, it was like, oh, it, this is nice to watch our team play like this. Um, and again, not that it was perfect and not that it was like we should have won six nil, but it was like, we were in the match. We played well. We created chances. It was high energy. It was high intensity for the most of the game. And uh, it was just a nice, it was just a nice Saturday evening. It was, a, uh, it was pleasant. It was, pleasant. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was enjoyable. It was, if I had to choose between watching that and watching Minnesota United who played at the same time, I'm very happy that I would have chosen to watch Ford Madison instead. Hashtag Heath out. Uh, <laughs> very quickly. Uh, I'm going to just point three. We're not going to talk about the thing we're going to talk about here. Uh, Point three. Uh, So in uh, Joseph Salinas in uh, 2018, 2019 map uh, ref six matches in the championship delivered 28 yellow cards in, in USL league one in 2018, 19 uh, match two, Ref two matches delivered 13 yellow cards. What 2019 2020 he refed three matches in the championship, I believe, and delivered 18 yellow cards. Which brings us to our USL League One match center three yellow cards on either side. It wow. was talking that it was only three yellow cards on either side. There that's are some, a, that's so, about his average though. Six a game. That's yeah. kind of right in his, right in his average. So it was definitely boy, interesting seeing the ones minute. that he gave. <laughs> the ones that he gave were more confusing and shocking than anything else. <laughs> so Jiro got one in the 28th minute, uh, Gustavo in the 20th minute, uh, Aaron Malloy 
uh, in the 81st minute for uh, Tucson. Uh, Frankie got one in the 17th minute. Charlie Dennis, which he sounds like he's an extra on uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, in the in injury time in the in the first half, and then Ferriol in the 82nd minute all got yellow cards. I would say the yellow cards seemed to touch soft. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because well, you're were... not that's because you're not Joseph Salinas. <laughs> no, apparently not. Do you think he gets paid by the yellow card? Is that it? There it. were definitely a few yellows that he gave out where I was like, I don't understand where how that was yellow, but then prime example, I think it was in the first half. Turbo clot clatters a dude in the box. Probably should have been a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing happens. I was like, okay, sure. And then there was a softball maybe two minutes later. And then there was a yellow card. I was like, I don't, I don't get this logic. Yeah, Fernandez got one. Um, uh, he didn't even really grab at the guy uh, coming back on the counter. Like he had, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't, and there was like players and, behind him. Yeah. Like it wasn't, the, I think he was just literally trying to like, it was a yeah. genuine attempt to, to play defense. Yeah. The only yellow card that made sense was Giro, like Giro had one. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yes. That is a yeah. yellow. I mean, Jiro should probably just get booked at the beginning of every game. I mean, he's, he's slightly wild. He's, 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 yeah, his tackling uh, could use some. He's control. dangerous when he's on the ball. I mean, in the game against yeah. Bavarians, he crushed yeah, that kid he, in the first couple yeah. of minutes while he was dribbling the ball. <laughs> <laughs> that kid so, is still, that kid is still icing his ankle, I think. Yeah. He, you know, and, and it's actually one of the big differences between, uh, first year and second year Juros, he got strong in the, in the off season. I don't know if it was biking by the, give me some truth studios that did it for him or what, but he is, he got much more solid and solid on the ball. And, and so, um, you know, it'll be interesting. Full to of see. cheese curds and anger. I was going to say, you start biking, you get a Princeton club membership, you get some, you know, cheese curds in you, you're, you're going to grow. Yeah. A couple of Miller high lifes and you're ready to go. You know, uh, overall pleasing performance, uh, Kyle, as, as you both, uh, serve on the walk in 90 podcast, simulcast YouTube sensation, um, with, with Ebony from, uh, North Carolina FC and actually watch their matches. Can you give us a little insight into what we may want to expect? You said they might be sneaky good. And NCFC is going to be, I don't know if I want to say they're a playoff team yet, but they're going to be probably sitting somewhere around seventh or eighth. They're going to win some matches that, you know, they can go. I can, they almost beat Greenville. They were competing with Greenville the whole time. And if it wasn't for a chaotic scene near the end of the box, they could have equalized it against Greenville and a questionable pen probably could have won. So they have the ability to beat anyone, but there's, they got some scrappy players. I think that's going to be the big thing is, I would not underestimate Greenville. I think they're going to be, like I said, seventh or eighth, but they're going to be a team that they can beat you on their day. They're, they have the talent. They have players that can make plays. Um, it should be an interesting match. I would still lean towards forward winning, especially returning at Breeze, playing at home. That's going to give them a slight edge. But, you know, North Carolina, I wasn't sure what the hell to expect with them when they were coming down because it's, they didn't bring back most most of their squad. So they're kind of relying on their Academy and other player and other young players, but they look feisty. They, they look like a team that's going to be scrappy. They're going to be feisty. They're going to give you hell for 90 minutes. They could win the game. They could also possibly allow two, three goals. So 
that is my NCFC scouting report. And Keith, I just want to note that I believe uh, Fort Lauderdale has completed their season already. Um, so they are uh, five games played, six points. So I think they're done. <laughs> it might as well be. <laughs> this is one of my favorite thing about this USL league. Like Fort Lauderdale Toronto has played. Toronto has played none. <laughs> Orlando, they don't play for another Santa couple of weeks. Orlando City weren't they finished by like July fourth last year? Uh, yeah, they're they're already done. They're not even in the standings anymore. <laughs> They've just moved them right out. <laughs> they played, yeah, five games. Richmond's played four. Greenville's played three. Um, you know, Union North Omaha. Texas, I think it's played, played three. Only played two. <laughs> and then Toronto plays like five in two weeks. They yeah, play May twenty second, May twenty sixth, May 29th, June second, June fifth. <laughs> So their season will run from uh, Memorial Day to the day after Memorial Day. <laughs> Are they playing in Canada? What's their? Do we have any idea? They're they playing in Arizona, Arizona, and Florida. I think they've got like two homes. Yeah, they're okay. they're you know a, a lot of Canadian snowbirds. I will say so. I think maybe they can pick up some you know Canadians down there for the winter uh, in in Arizona uh, to watch the matches. But some Nordiques. Some indeed, indeed. Uh, anything else, Dan, that you want to add to the proceedings? Um, I probably should have looked up the definition of Nordique before using it on the podcast. Am I going to be in trouble with anybody? <laughs> uh, no, just a northerner. It's French okay. for person of the north. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about hoser? There's a there's a hockey team like Quebec. Yeah, Ladies. I mean, I assume there's a hockey be, team. Well, Kyle, there are some American football teams with names <laughs> I wouldn't stay on the podcast. <laughs> but that's not America. anymore. They're just the Washington football. <laughs> that, that is, yeah, good point, Kyle. That is America. Yeah. We would never do anything like that. No, no, America, never. Kyle. No, no. And I wrote an article about it, so I know that we would never <laughs> do anything like that. And here's the, here's my video on Twitter that me talk about the same exact topic, not answering your question at all. <laughs> Um, also, I'm just looking forward to the day when producer Paisley finally gets it in, in into it with, uh, you know, shant, shant fall. Um, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Uh, until next time we say forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. Oh, I could big fan of butcher. Butchering is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> <laughs>